Welcome to the MC Podcast number two from the World Dairy Expo today. Today our guest is Dr. Randy Shaver from uh, University of Wisconsin. Uh, Dr. Shaver, we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for being here. Um, just to give us a, a little quick uh, kind of synopsis of what you do for the University of Wisconsin, where you're based out of, and those kinds of things. Sure. Well, I'll just give my uh, background a little bit of history. Absolutely. I grew up in uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. And I uh, went to Penn State and grew up on a small dairy farm out there at the time and then on to the University of Maryland and uh, then I came out to Wisconsin and uh, did my doctorate degree and uh, met, met my wife here and uh, then I went into industry for about three years after okay. my doctorate and eventually ended up back in the uh, position here at Wisconsin. I've been in the same position for just about 30 years oh, now. Wow. wow. And uh, research and extension outreach type position. Okay. So so you're, you're research and, and outreach extension, you're dealing on farm quite a bit then. You know, uh, starting out when we had just a lot of farms, when I started, we had 34,000 dairies here in Wisconsin yeah. and a lot of smaller dairies. And uh, we did spend more time doing uh, kind of individual meetings at the county level or uh, working with county agents on individual farms and things have kind of uh, moved ahead over the right. past 30 years. We're running, I think, even a little less than 9,000 dairies oh, here wow. in the state. Okay. I and, didn't realize it was down that far. Yeah, and average herd size went from about 50 cows when I started and we're up uh, in the mid 100s right now. Okay. Yeah. So quite a change in the industry. So we tend to work more with uh, some of the professionals in the field. Okay. So, uh, uh, maybe less and less with some of our county extension agents. And then we've got, obviously, uh, masters and Ph.D. consultants. We have uh, feed industry nutritionists. Okay. We have a lot of crop consultants. So uh, when we get involved, it's oftentimes uh, through an email of a ration or maybe having some challenges, okay. uh, maybe wanting some new uh, research information, and we kind of send that out. Uh, but, yeah, we do try to get on dairies when, when we can okay. if we're in the area. But that's probably less uh, now than what it was, than what it was over so the years. Over the years. Yeah. And, and probably less now than kind of what we think that picture of an extension kind of agent looks like in our mind from, from, that, from that past. Yeah, we, so uh, Wisconsin's, I think, similar to a lot of states in that we have county-based extension educators, okay. and then we have... Uh, university uh, campus specialists that, okay. that have extension appointments and uh, we tend to be a part of a faculty in my case it would be dairy science okay. there's others in agronomy there's mm -hmm. some in in biosystems engineering and uh, then we tend to work with the industry uh, might be with dairy farmers it might be with uh, uh, milk processors it might be with feed industry it might be with seed companies right. Um, so that's kind of our role, and it really becomes doing applied research, and that's become a bigger part of our role Definitely. over the years. And then also delivering the research-based information to the industry, and, and we deliver it from campus just about any way we can. It might be something like this, a YouTube video. Right. It might be a fact sheet. It might be an article in Hordes Dairyman. Um, so that's or a website. Right. So that's kind of how we operate in this day and age. So, so you know, as we're talking about this research, what's new in the research? What, what have you? What, what kind of new research have you have you been involved with here lately? So, kind of the consistency in, in my career, the the one consistent piece has been corn silage. Okay. Uh, growing up on, on that farm in Pennsylvania, it was kind of the crop that I enjoyed the most. Uh, you planted it once, you harvested it once. Uh, I kind of enjoyed the fall time of the year yeah, and the harvest. And, definitely. And uh, so it was kind of an exciting crop for me. When I got into grad school, just by chance at the University of Maryland, uh, it was the project that I worked on involved the effect of silage acids and pH on intake. Okay. 
and we worked a lot with adding buffers to TMRs to, to get good intake on high corn silage diets. When I came to Wisconsin, I did a little more broad-based project, uh, worked a lot with alfalfa and corn silage. And interestingly enough, in those days, Mark, the industry uh, was predominantly here in Wisconsin was predominantly alfalfa. Okay. Alfalfa really? silage. Uh, corn silage would be kind of your worst field of corn. Really? It might be chopped to go to heifers, maybe dry cows. If somebody was feeding corn silage to lactating cows, it may be only 15 or 20 pounds on oh a wet my. basis. Oh, my. And I kind of walked around while I was in graduate school for three years scratching my head and said, you know, in Pennsylvania and New York, we just fed a lot of corn silage. Yeah. What's the difference? And as things progressed, I just got more into research on corn silage. The industry, as it, it grew and expanded, started to focus more on uh, yield per acre. Okay. Yeah. And we just saw this big shift to more and more corn silage. So. So the consistent piece has been uh, corn silage and kind of the area that I focus more on has been on the starch area. Okay. And so there continues to be things emerging uh, on the utilization of the starch component of corn silage. Right, exactly. You know, and, and so we as Master Choice, we've been really, we've been really focused on that with a, you know, a floury, softer type endosperm, right. uh, increasing that, that starch digestibility. And it's really kind of interesting that, that here over the last couple of years, that's really kind of the industry starting to kind of turn that way. There there was almost right. a resistance, you know, eight, ten years ago, you know, corn right. is corn. And, and then also, you know, with, with commodity prices being low, you know, who, yeah. who, who really cares about how digestible, how digestible it is if, you know, if, if commodity corn is, you know, $2, $2.50 a bushel. But, right. you know, I guess it was four or five years ago when we had $8 bushel right. corn, then we really started getting focused on, on starch digestibility. Right. So where do you think we're moving with starch digestibility yeah, so, in the future? So, I mean, it's not too surprising. you, you got to realize in, in the dairy side, we've been focused very heavily on fiber. Right. Right. Uh, neutral detergent fiber, and mm -hmm. then the digestibility of that fiber. And that makes up sense, uh, a lot of sense, because the dairy cow's a ruminant. Mm -hmm. She's got a chewer cud. We've got to have good butter fat test. Yep. Uh, fat is right now kind of our most valuable it is. It component is. of milk. So there's always been that focus on fiber. And because of that, there was really a lack of focus on the, the grain in corn mm -hmm. silage or mm -hmm. the starch. And, you know, the beef people, they were working heavily on starch 30 years before yes. us and dairy. Yeah. So it's kind of a bit, been an ongoing process. And, and the first was just looking at the concentration of starch okay. in silage, yeah. Yeah. getting some analytical tests that could measure that. And then the next progression was to look at the digestibility of that grain, which may be 50% of that whole plant. Right, right. And so some of the first work was just how do we process the silage? How do we chop it fine enough to get decent digestibility? How do we process it? Uh, looking at the moisture at, at the time of harvest, right. not wanting it to get too dry. Too dry and right. so kind of the next progression was to look at the endosperm and mm -hmm. Noting that there are differences. There are, there's yes. certainly in Brazil and Europe, there's a France, for example, there's a flint. You're right, exactly. And then as you get into kind of the lower part of the corn belt, there's a true flowery. Right. And the yellow dent was kind of a mixture of those two. Right. And so the focus came slower, it's been slow to evolve, 
but just looking at variation within that dent population right. to see how that might affect starch digestion uh, or the digestion of the kernel, basically. Definitely, and, and that's kind of that's kind of where we've been. You know, we've been looking at at the um, you know that variation within within that dent corn, and and there is one. There's right. there's a genetic variation there. You know, that, that is somewhat affected by by um, environmental conditions and and right. management, but there is, there is that genetic right. diversity even even in that that yellow dent, and and, and wanting to to produce a a, a uh, corn hybrid that has a higher percentage of that white floury starch in the endosperm because the cow gets to that better. Right. She utilizes she utilizes that better. Have you, have you been seeing any samples this year? Uh, any corn silage samples? Yeah. What, are you, what are you seeing out of those that are being harvested yeah, this year? So uh, really very few. I've seen some uh, fresh samples uh, come through, but in terms of starch digestibility, it's probably a little early to look right. at that. The ones that I've seen have been primarily fresh samples, okay. and you'd like to let that ferment for at least... Uh, Oh, 45 days or more yeah. to try to get a good picture of, of what you're looking at for starch where digestion. It's end, where it's going to end uh, up. But it's a lot of variation. Uh, we had um, a lot of rain here early right. on. Uh, we had some corn planted a few different times. Mm -hmm. We had uh, a lot of drown outs in the field. Uh, then we had so much rain that I think we lost some nitrogen. And yep. so that crop started to yellow or dry down uh, pretty quickly. And then, at least here in Wisconsin, we got into a real dry spell. Okay. So what I'm expecting and what I'm already starting to see is quite a bit of variation in uh, dry matter content at harvest, mm -hmm. uh, variation in NDF content, mm -hmm. even variation in starch content. And then as we get into this, we'll have a little better picture of what kind of differences we see in starch digestion. Starch digest what about fiber digestibility? Have you been seeing any differences in, in fiber digestibility over what you saw yeah, last year? Interestingly enough, uh, for some of the samples that I've looked at thus far on fresh samples, it's been higher than, than what we've typically seen. Now, I don't know if that'll hold up because yeah. I'm looking at a pretty small population. But overall, it seems like uh, fiber digestibility has been pretty good. Looking at two factors now, the NDF digestibility at 30 hours, right. uh, then the UNDF, which is kind of the undigested at, at, fraction. At 240, or are you looking at 120? Two, 240, 240, yeah. And then also with Rock River Labs, they do a uh, TTNDFD. Yes. And so kind of all those two numbers, NDFD 30 and, and TTNDFD, seem to just be a bit higher on what I've looked at and the UNDF 240 uh, a little bit lower. lower. So I don't know if that's just a function of the samples I'm looking at or whether that hold up. That, that'll, that'll hold, hold up, up throughout, so. throughout the year. So, so you, you mentioned these these uh, these parts of the nutrition frac fraction or uh, profiles that a guy should be looking at. So if a farmer's taking this corn silage out, what are the what are the top four nutritional uh, components that he right. should be looking at? So the first place that I look at is NDF concentration, okay. NDF percent, okay. and, and uh, starch percent. Okay. And the reason I say that is uh, certainly that's affected by hybrid because right. that affects grain yield. Yes. But it's also affected by the stage of maturity that mm -hmm. we harvest. Mm -hmm. It's affected by the weather conditions, which mm -hmm. affects grain yield. Yes. And it's affected by how, how high we chop it off the ground. Right. Do we chop it six inches? Do we chop it 20 inches? So we see a lot of variation in NDF and starch content. And that's really going to determine really two things. One, the energy value right. of that, how much right. of that yellow fraction you have. But then also the roughage or the forage value of that silage because uh, you got to have a reasonable level of NDF to, to, 
to really get enough fiber into that cow. So I know those aren't new, but right. they're kind of the, the top it, it, ones that the I look ones. at. Right. And then I like to get a good look at dry matter content. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. if you get it way too dry, 45% dry matter, we pretty much know we're going to have some challenges in in digestibility, right. uh, probably mainly starch, but maybe a bit on fiber. On the fiber side. And we're going to have more starch and less of that fiber. Cor when, correct. When we get, when we because get you're going to really, uh, you know, it's a dilution thing. Yes. So you're going to have a lot more grain yield, more yep. starch in the kernel, and that's going to dilute out more NDF. Right. right. Then you look, is it too wet? Yeah. Uh, you, I've seen some samples, 28% whole plant dry matter. Oh, wow. and, yeah. and there we know you'd suspect that starch is going to be a little bit lower. Yeah, probably in the, in the low to mid-20s. Yeah, or, a percentage of dry uh, you know, I've seen some upper 20s. Upper it 20s. depends a little bit on, again, the hybrid, hybrid. and then your uh, stover yield, yep. the stock yield versus the grain. Uh, but, you know, there you're going to have some seepage. You may have some sugars that leach out. You yep. may have high lactic acid. So I kind of like to look at dry matter, and is it in that sweet spot of say 34 to 36 yep. percent whole plant dry yep. matter? Then we got a little range, probably from 32 to 38. But once we start seeing 30 and below or 40 and mm. above, then I kind of get a little worried about Absolutely. what I'm going to be looking Absolutely. at. Absolutely. So dry matter, NDF, starch concentrations. Okay. And then I would probably go right to my fiber digestibility okay. and kind of pick pick your number. Right. Uh, you you want to be able to compare across other samples, other years, uh, if it's a nutritionist, across other farms. Right. And so some will focus mainly on NDFD30, uh, some will focus on this TTNDFD, some will take a little more broad view, which is what I like to do, look at NDFD, look at UNDF, yeah. look at TTNDFD, Absolutely. and kind of assess, you know, what am I dealing with? Is it a highly digestible hybrid you know, in this silo or this year, or is it not as good as what you'd expect? And then probably you're looking at starch digestibility. And, right. and uh, unfortunately, I don't know that there's a lot of good tests there, but uh, yeah. one good one is probably this seven hour right. starch digestibility. Yeah, that's kind of the industry standard, kind of like it, NDFD yeah, 30, everybody but, that's worked. But of, it's kind of an index I, I and there's, there's some variation amongst labs. And I almost like to use it in an index of kind of a high, medium, low. Right and allow me to compare against other samples right. that I work with. Uh, it's not as sophisticated, it's not as fine-tuned as what it's NDFD You're right. is. You're right. Uh, and then probably um, some some way of assessing uh, processing. Okay. And yeah. we've got the processing score, score that's a fairly standard analysis, and you'd like that to be 70 or higher, mm -hmm. and probably 50 to 70 is adequate. Right. But that just gives us an idea of how well we process that kernel coming through. And that's so. going to increase the starch digestibility. Correct. The, fi the, the finer it is, the more yeah. digestible it is. So Definitely. those are probably the big ones that I look at. And then if you know what your hybrid is going in, is it a silage hybrid? kind of a silage specific where right. somebody's focused on the digestibility of the kernel or is it a grain hybrid right. where it may be actually a fairly hard kernel because the main focus has been for grain production Definitely. and so they want a denser kernel to yep. get it through elevators and, and eliminate the exactly. damage to that kernel uh, but it got chopped for silage. Um, or is it a leafy type hybrid? You know, so there's just things that you know about the hybrid 
and that allows you maybe to focus a bit on how hard you're going to look at something like processing score right, and right. how concerned you're going to be about moisture content yeah. at the time of harvest. Definitely. And, and, you know, another thing there, too, is if I know that my hybrid was developed for grain, I know it has that harder endosperm, maybe I let that ensile a little bit longer. You know, you were correct, talking about 45 correct. days. Maybe I let that go, you right. know, three months or, right. or five months before I start feeding that because the longer that's ensiled, the higher right. that starch digestibility gets. Yeah, I mean, I just think you have to know that know what you're dealing with going in and Definitely. so it's uh, certainly a situation where that's a hybrid I don't want to let it get too dry right. I want to avoid that I don't want to poorly process it right and then I agree totally it's a hybrid you probably want to let in that silo for four to six months yeah. before you open it and start feeding, start feeding it, it out. where some of these other hybrids uh, may be a little more forgiving of that mm -hmm. and and maybe we can if we need to get into it a little quicker Definitely. and still have good digestibility and then lastly it's kind of all in the nutritionist and you know, do I need to feed more grain to compensate mm -hmm. for more uh, passage through the cow, right. or can I cut back on grain and feed more forage? So it still gets to be a bit of a balancing act of kind of reading the silage, reading the cows, reading the manure, and then making those changes. Maybe. And you may feed a different ration in November if you're feeding some recently chopped silage. Right. Than what you feed in April after that material's fermented out for, for many for, months. For many months, absolutely. Good. Dr. Shaver, we really appreciate you stopping by, but before before we let you go, right, we got, you, you got your uh, UW little uh, pullover shirt on here. Okay. So, how, how is the Badger football team doing in your eyes? Uh, they are uh, doing great, but okay. uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I actually have three teams in the uh, in the Big Ten, oh, Penn State yeah. is now in, and Penn State I think is in the top uh, five, maybe okay. three or four. Okay. Uh, the Badgers are in the top ten, and then my third team uh, was the University of Maryland, and, right. and the Terps are uh, hanging in there. I believe they upset Texas early in the year, yes, they did. so uh, I think the Badgers are fine, but uh, Penn State's probably the team to watch. Okay. At least until they play Ohio State in a few weeks. Definitely, so. definitely. Dr. Shaver, we really appreciate you coming by, stopping by. Guys, we appreciate you listening in to our MC podcast and uh, here at the World Dairy Expo.